my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, this morning, as Pastor said, we are talking about the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but sometimes it seems to me that the Holy Spirit gets short shrift in our preaching and teaching as a church, that we don't talk about Him as often as perhaps we should. Even the Spirit's big day, the, the festival of Pentecost, barely makes a ripple in our lives. Certainly can't hold a candle to Christmas and Easter, right? How many of you send out greeting cards for Pentecost? How many of you decorate your houses for Pentecost? How many of you have a big family gathering and celebration? I'd lay odds that many of us oftentimes come into church on Pentecost Sunday and say, oh, hey, it's Pentecost, who knew? Nevertheless, let's be absolutely clear that our teaching and understanding of the Holy Spirit is no mere addendum to our Christian theology. His mention here in the creed is no asterisk or afterthought that could just as well have been omitted if we wanted to. And most importantly for you and me, the work of the Holy Spirit is no mere footnote in the story of your life. That's essentially what Jesus was wanting to convey to his disciples in that gospel reading that we heard earlier. And that is essentially what Jesus wants to convey to you, his 21st century disciples gathered before me today. Jesus wants you to know in your walk of faith, the life that you live as a child of God here on earth, this pilgrimage until such time as God calls you into glory, you can take great comfort in the fact that you are not alone in that walk. That you have the Holy Spirit there with you to help you every step of the way. That is the message for us to morning, this morning that we are blessed, so blessed, to have the help of the Holy Spirit in our walk of faith. If you take this gospel reading from John chapter 14 and look at it in your NIV Bible, you'll see the subheading, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. Other translations, other Bibles may have the same thing or something very similar to, to that. And it is a good heading, a summary of this section. The question is, though, why did Jesus promise the Holy Spirit? What prompted him to bring this matter up? A little context might help here. John chapter 14, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. This is the night which he instituted the Lord's Supper. That's already taken place. This is the eve of his betrayal and his subsequent arrest and trial and crucifixion the next day. John, the gospel writer John, records for us so much more of Jesus' discussion. It's a sermon, really, that Jesus has with his disciples that night. He is wanting to prepare them for his departure. He's wanting to prepare them for life without him physically present there with him. And oh, by the way, does that sound like something you and I could relate to? Life without Jesus physically present? Absolutely, that's our situation. And so it is we do well to listen to this sermon of Jesus, this portion of his sermon. So what does he say about what should characterize our life of faith without him physically present? He says in the very first words of our text, verse 15, If you love me, 
you will obey what I command. That's what should characterize our life without him physically present. In fact, this is a big important theme in this section of Jesus' sermon. He says it, I don't know if you caught it, he said it three times. To you. Actually, four if you count when he said it in the negative, when he says, if you don't love me, you're not going to keep my commands. Four times. It's kind of an important point Jesus is trying to make, don't you think? And the point is this. As Jesus' disciples, as people who love Jesus, we treasure God's word and we live accordingly. As Scripture says, we're not just hearers of the word, we're doers of the word. Remember what Pastor taught us from the very beginning of this series on the Creed. When we say those words, I believe, that's not just head knowledge we're talking about. Even the devil and his demons have head knowledge about God, maybe even more than we do. But when we say, I believe, we are talking about a living act of faith and trust that then expresses itself in our lives, in our thoughts, in our words and deeds. Now, I assume you are here today because you love Jesus like I do. Awesome. Then obey his commands. Live as Christ has taught you to live. And so when you are facing antagonism or opposition from, from somebody or some bodies in some way, what do you do? You love your enemies and you don't repay evil for evil because that's what Jesus commands you to do. When somebody has wronged you in some way, maybe even some major hurtful way or maybe some repetitive way again and again, what do you do? You forgive and forgive and forgive because that's what Jesus has taught you to do. And when you are tempted by some form of, say, sexual immorality, what do you do? Do you see how close you can get without crossing the line? No, you flee from sexual immorality. You get away from it as far as you can because that's what God word, God's word enjoins of us to do. Now, don't just think of this as the burdens of the law, but... Taking heed to Jesus' word, God's word, and living accordingly also certainly includes taking heed to those gracious invitations of the gospel. So that when you have gone astray and your sin is thrown in your face, do you make excuses? No, you repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins because that's what Jesus has taught. And when your guilt weighs down so heavy on you and your walk of faith, you've gotten so weary in your walk of faith, do you throw up your hands in despair and say, I can't stand it anymore, I give up? Do you fall into depression, can't sleep at night because of your guilt? No. You come to Jesus for rest. And you throw your burden of guilt on him and take his yoke of grace, love, and righteousness on you because that's what Jesus teaches us. This is what characterizes our walk of faith in this life. That we treasure God's word and we live accordingly. It's that message from Jesus that then prompts him to promise the Holy Spirit. Just as soon as he says those opening words of our text, if you love me, you will obey what I command, 
he immediately follows that by saying, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Jesus knows we can't go it alone in our walk of faith. He knows that even though we love him dearly, we need help in our life of discipleship. And he doesn't leave us hanging. He doesn't disappoint. He doesn't just say, well, good luck, guys. He promises us help. He promises us the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting how Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit here. He calls him counselor. I will give you another counselor, he says. Now, at least that's the way the NIV translates that word. Other translations, you might find an advocate, a comforter, a helper. But counselor is good. It conveys that idea of somebody who is there to guide you and assist you through life's struggles. Just as long as you don't think of it as somebody you go see every once in a while, periodically, you know, one hour, once a week, or once a month, and then you're back to life on your own, trying to deal with things all by yourself. No, Jesus says, this counselor will be with you forever. In fact, he says, he lives with you and will be in you. So this is a 24-7, 365 counselor that you've got by your side, not just on call, but right there with you all the time through life. The Greek word that's used there is paraclete, which I only bring up because maybe you've heard that word, because sometimes it is used, just taken straight out of the Greek, paraclete. The idea is somebody who's right there by your side, right alongside of you to help and assist you. In a context here, to help and assist you in keeping God's commands. So how does the Spirit do that? How does the Spirit come to help us in our walk of faith? Is it through miraculous healings and other miracles? There is scriptural precedent for that. Is it through speaking in tongues and other great manifestations of the spiritual gifts of the Spirit? There is scriptural precedent for that. But look at what Jesus says about how the Holy Spirit helps Near the very end of this section, he says, The Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. In other words, the Spirit works primarily through the Word, through teaching and reminding you of what Christ has said. Whether it's the, the word that is recorded for us, graciously recorded for us in the Bible, whether it's that word that is preached and taught to you in accordance with the Bible, whether it is the word that comes to you very personally and very visibly in baptism and Holy Communion, the Spirit is there at work through that word. Jesus has directed us to a life of faith. And all of that means a life of faith in word and deed. And we know that no one can have that faith. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. 
And we know that faith comes from hearing the message. The message is heard through the word of Christ. Connect those dots and you see that the Holy Spirit works through the message, through the word, the gospel of Jesus Christ to bring about that faith and to nurture that faith and build that faith and help us persevere in that faith. He may do that through the word of law, a word of law. He certainly does that through the gracious words of gospel. And whether he is teaching you new gems of scriptural truths or whether he is reminding you again and again of things you've heard a thousand times before but that never seem to grow old, the Spirit is there doing his work to plant that seed of faith deep, deep in your hearts and and nurture it and give it the right kind of soil and fertilize it and, and water it so that it might then sprout and break through our stony hearts and, and grow and thrive into a big and beautiful plant that produces the thousands of seeds and fruit to the glory of God, working so that we might withstand the, the thorns and thistles of this life and ward off the, the birds that may come and snip at us. This is the help that Jesus is promising you in your walk of faith, the help of the Holy Spirit who is powerfully at work in your life through the Word. This promise of Jesus certainly then leads us to confess our faith as we do in the Apostles' Creed, boldly and joyfully saying, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And keep in mind now that when we affirm that faith, our faith in the Holy Spirit, we are at the same time then pushing back against any kind of narrative of self-reliance. We are disavowing ourselves of any notion of what I'll just call do-it-yourself Christianity. Now let me explain what I mean by that. Do-it-yourself Christianity shows in our life when we think we can live however we want to live. After all, God forgives, right? So what does it matter? It's as if we treat God's mercy as a license for sin. And instead of living according to what Jesus commands, we go and do things our way. Do-it-yourself Christianity shows up when we form our own opinions about God or what God is like or how he acts Opinions that aren't based in Scripture. We find people who to teach us whatever our itching ears want to hear because that's what we want to think about God. For example, when somebody may say, well, yeah, I think God's a God of love. Everybody's going to go to heaven. Unfortunately, that's not scriptural. Do-it-yourself Christianity perhaps most vividly shows up when we simply absent ourselves from God's Word. When we get this notion in our head that says, hey, you know, I'm a Christian. I, I know Jesus died for me. I know what I need to know. I know I'm going to heaven. That's all I need to know. So who needs to be in the, reading the Bible at home? Who needs to be having devotions? Who needs Bible study? All that extra discussion of the things I already know. In fact, who even really needs to come to church and worship all that often? And so we cut ourselves off from the very tool that the Holy Spirit uses to nurture our faith. We build a wall between us and the promised help that Jesus has offered us. 
Now, if you want a do-it-yourself project like building your own pergola or deck or remodeling your own bathroom, even building your own house, go for it. By all means, more power to you. But if you want to take on the devil, the world, and your own sinful flesh on your own without the help of the Holy Spirit, then I beg you to reconsider. That's not a good do-it-yourself project, friends. I plead with you to graciously receive the help that Jesus offers you and the help of the Holy Spirit through the Word. And what's in it for you then? That might sound like a somewhat selfish question, but Jesus wants you to know what's in it for you. He wants you to know about the blessings and rewards that are, are there for the taking for you when you walk that walk of faith with the help of the Holy Spirit. He mentions a couple things here. First is communion with God himself. Think about that. Imagine that. God Almighty who, who fills heaven and earth with his glory wants to make his home with you. He says there in verse 23 that the, for the Christian, my Father will love you and we, notice the plural, we, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we will come to you and make our home with you. Wow! The God who created heaven and earth, the God who, who defeated the devil himself and then conquered uh, death itself is going to make his home with you. Little old you. Absolutely. God deigns to live with you, not just temporarily, but he's going to hang his curtains there. He's going to make a permanent residence with you. And not only that, then, not only do we have that kind of communion with God, but Jesus says we have peace with God. Right there at the very end of this section of Scripture, as if he's summoning it all up, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Jesus knows that our walk of faith as disciples of Christ is not going to be easy. In fact, it's a little bit later in this sermon. He says, in this world you will, will have trouble. But then he also says, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Take heart, people of God. That's what he's saying here in the closing part of this text you can take great comfort in the fact that you have the promised help of the Holy Spirit. That even though life is a challenge, our walk of faith is a challenge, Jesus has you covered. And just as he has redeemed you from sin and damnation and saved you from that life of eternal death, just as he has gone into heaven to prepare a, a mansion in heaven for you, even so he gives you the Holy Spirit to help you get there. And because of that, we can have peace even in the midst of life's struggles. A peace that truly passes all understanding because it is out of this world, as Jesus says here. Those are the blessings in store for you in your walk of faith when you graciously receive that help of the Holy Spirit through the Word. 
So maybe it is true that the Holy Spirit gets short shrift in our preaching and teaching. But you know what? I think he actually likes it that way. He is, as one pastor taught me, the shy person of the Trinity. He doesn't want the spotlight. He doesn't want the attention. He's there simply to serve you, to walk alongside you, to be right there at your side, helping you and assisting you in your walk of faith on into glory. He is there to put the attention in the spotlight where it really belongs on Jesus Christ and him crucified through whom we have forgiveness, life, and salvation. And so today it is certainly most appropriate that we do take some time to say thanks and praise to the Holy Spirit because we are truly blessed to have his help every step of the way in our walk of faith. And for that good news, all God's people say, Amen.